Welcome to the Gospel in Lagos, the sermon podcast of City Church. City Church is a community of worshippers and mission. We exist to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. You can find out more about us at www.citychurchlagos.com. City Church, love Jesus, love people, love Lagos. Good morning, church. Our Bible reading today will be taken from the book of 2 Kings chapter 2, from verses 1 to 12. At the end of the reading, as is our custom, I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. Please respond by saying, thanks be to God. 2 Kings 2, from verses 1. When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. Elijah said to Elisha, stay here. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. But Elisha said, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The company of the prophets at Bethel came out to Elisha and asked, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, Elisha replied. So be quiet. Then Elijah said to him, Stay here, Elisha. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. And he replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So they went to Jericho. Then the company of the prophets at Jericho went up to Elisha and asked him, Do you know that the Lord is going to take your master from you today? Yes, I know, he replied. So be quiet. And Elijah said to him, Stay here. The Lord has sent me to the Jordan. And then he replied, As surely as the Lord lives, and as you live, I will not leave you. So the two of them walked on. Fifty men from the company of the prophets went and stood at a distance, facing the place where Elijah and Elisha had stopped at the Jordan. Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. When they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Tell me, what can I do for you before I'm taken from you? Let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. You have asked a difficult thing, Elijah said. Yet if you see me when I'm taken from you, it will be yours. Otherwise, it will not. And as they were walking along and talking together, suddenly a chariot of fire and horses of fire appeared and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up to heaven in a whirlwind. Elisha saw this and cried out, My father, my father! The chariots and horsemen of Israel. And Elijah saw, and Elisha saw him no more. Then he took hold of his garment and tore it in two. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, saints. Oh, wow. We're getting better at this thing. Oh. I don't have to call um, many times again. But good morning, everyone. It's good to see you all this morning. Um, special welcome if this is your first time or you haven't been here in a while. We're genuinely happy to see you. So what we've been doing is going through the, I was about to say the book of Elijah again, going through the life of Elijah in First and Second Kings. And we've just been seeing how, you know, we titled the series, A Man of Like Passions. And we've been seeing how God has been or was at work in Elijah's life. And using that to say, if God did just as much in Elijah's life, he can do the same in ours. And I don't know about you, it's just been, you know, the series for me personally has been convicting, it's been challenging, 
it's been encouraging. And so if you haven't, um, you know, listened or you missed out on a couple of the sermons, I encourage you to please check out the podcast and listen to any of the sermons that you missed. We're slowly making our way to the end, and today we're in 2 Kings chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. And as I was looking at this passage, it reminded me of the Olympics. I don't know if there are any Olympic fans here in the house. I am not a sports fan, um, but the Olympics comes along every four years. It's been on since 1896, if I remember my PE from secondary school well. And it's held every four years except um, during the World War and, you know, last year when there was a pandemic. And so it, it happened this year. But, you know, when, when you see the Olympics, you, you can expect, like, Class A sportsmanship. I remember the, I say I remember as though I was there. I wasn't there, but I know PF was at this one. <laughs> the 1992 Olympics. See, this is for getting at Uncle Yemi all the time. Um, the 1992 Olympics, basketball, that was the first time that um, active players of the NBA um, played in, in the Olympics. And that team was called the Dream Team. It was made up of the likes of Michael Jordan, Larry Bird, Magic Johnson, Scotty Pippen, like Hall of Famers of all times. And, you know, it was, it was, it was fantastic. Um, this one I remember, I remember. Atlanta 96, Nigeria played and... We did well. Um, I think that was where we had the lady who is now a, um, is, she, is she DIG of police or something? And she won a, yes, I knew Pierre would remember. Um, she, won, <laughs> she, won, she won a gold medal for, for Nigeria. And you know, like Nigeria did well. And if you, if you know anything about the tables, you know usually it's between a few countries. It's the US, it's um, Great Britain, China. China. China in the last few years has just been dominating the thing. But there's a sport that every year for the last 20 years, the US has sucked at. Like they've been terrible. And which gives me great joy as a Nigerian to know that there's something the US isn't good at. And it's the four by 100 men's relay. They have been terrible at it. Like they've, there's an article here from the New York Magazine um, talking about last year. At the, at the 20, well, this year, at the 2020 Olympics. He says, so he was talking about just all the failures of the US Olympic team, and he says, a brief recounting of the American team's baton passing mishaps in recent years. At the 2008 Olympics in Beijing, a US runner dropped the baton during an exchange. In the 2009 World Championships, two runners exchanged the baton before the passing zone started, and the team was disqualified. In 2011, an American runner collided with a British runner in another lane and fell. In 2015, the US team made the exchange after, passing, after the passing zone and again was disqualified. If there's a way to blow the baton exchange, the United States men's 4 by 100 relay team has done it. Coming into Thursday morning, the team had messed up an exchange at seven of the past 11 Olympics and World Championship meets. Since 2005, the team had either not finished or been disqualified because of a baton exchange failure six times. It was the worst rate of failure of any national team in the same time frame. I'm just happy as a Nigerian. <laughs> like these people suck. To show you visually, Here's a, um, a, a video from the 2008 men's 
fall by 100. Good clean start. It's Moreira of Brazil in lane two, closest to the uh, inside field. Hessian of the Netherlands, uh, Tsukahara of Japan in lane four, the South African Dryer in lane five, and they go into the first changeover. The U.S. had swapped to Travis Paget. Trinidad and Tobago have Mark Burns running for them. The next change, they come round. It's the South African Kumbane who's running, but the Americans are out to a good lead. Davis Patton, they come to the last leg, and uh, Tyson Gay of the United States is away, and the Americans have missed it. They've completely missed it, and the Japanese will come home in this heat in second, but first, I think it's Trinidad and Tobago. Tyson Gay out off his mark a little too early. Team USA, what a tragedy. They were running so well. The third leg was absolutely brilliant, but I think they were being hustled. They were being hustled by the Trinidadians on their outside, and I'm not sure what happened to Gay, whether he missed his mark. That was unbelievable. So Team USA, the tragedies continue, and Patton there and Gay completely getting things absolutely wrong on that third, fourth changeover. Here well, it comes. Let's see what happened. Gay went out too early. Yeah, exactly. He was, his teammate was screaming out. No, they just dropped it. Perhaps a bit of both. Well, I think Gay was okay. But uh, look, he's, Patton's got it in his right. He's, and he's, and he's, he's going over to the uh, Gay left. And usually, usually... Did you guys notice the green white, the guys in green that didn't drop their button? as good Nigerians. But the commentators themselves were confused. One said, I think he went out too early, and Tyson Gay is one of the fastest you know, runners of, of the US of all time. He went out too early. That was the problem. The other one said, eh, no, I think he was OK. I think he was the guy coming from behind. Something was wrong in between. This year, they managed to improve. Um, but it took them three times. The one was touching the neck, one was touching the head before they could find um, catch the button, and then eventually they got disqualified again. <laughs> but I think as we look at this, I think it's, it's, it's more than just the sports. If your country is counting on you to win the Olympics, please make sure that you don't drop the button. But beyond that, I think it's passing across a message that it's as though we are running a race. In fact, that's the metaphor the Bible uses in Hebrews 12, that we are running a race. And there's going to come a time when we have to pass the button. How are you going to pass the button? Are you going to be able to hand it over well? Or are you going to drop it? Or are you going to kind of struggle as you hand it over, and then the person who is meant to take over from you is just confused as to what we are going to do? And I think as we look at this passage this morning, that is what is at the heart of what's going on here. Because you see in verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven. There's going to come a time when God is going to take us up to heaven. Whether physically, like the, the death rate is still 100%. 10 out of 10 of every person will die. But... <laughs> But maybe not even just physically. Maybe in terms of business, there's going to come a time when you ha have to hand over the reins of your company. There's going to come a time when your kids will actually leave your house. How are you going to hand over the baton to them? 
And so I've titled this sermon, Passing the Baton, because we see three things. If we are going to be effective in passing the baton of the legacy that we're acquiring, whether moral or spiritual or financial or anything at all, we see three things in this passage that we have to learn well. First, we have to lead with awareness. Second, we have to follow with readiness. And third, we must continue with effectiveness. Lead with awareness, follow with readiness, and continue with effectiveness. Let's pray for the Lord's help as we dive in. Spirit of the living God, we want to hear from you. You have spoken clearly for all time in the person of Jesus Christ and through these words that we have before. So now come, Lord, and, and cause our hearts to live, cause our hearts to be alive, to see your glories, O oh God, so that we can pass on the baton well. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Leading with awareness. Verse 1, I already read, it says, When the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from Gilgal. And you see there that Elijah was aware. Elijah wasn't just stumbling through life thinking that, oh, maybe, you know, what's, what's happening next? What's going to happen at this point in life? Elijah knew that the time had come for him to go. And I think part of the reasons why we're not always aware, friends, is not just because we are young, but because we live in an illusion. We think that everything tomorrow has been promised to us. We think that because of what we've acquired today, that there's a certainty that our legacy will not diminish or that we will not, there won't come a time when, you know, things won't go the way we think. But God doesn't promise us that. That passage we all like to quote when we come to birthdays, Psalm 90 verse 12, it says, teach us to number our days that we may apply our hearts to wisdom. It's not just saying, oh, celebrate your birthdays well. It's saying that time passes and you have to be getting wiser in how you live your life. Jesus Christ in John chapter 9 verse 34, as he's walking with his disciples, they are talking and he says to them, today is day, we must be working because night is coming when no man can work. In other words, there's coming a time when you'll be able to live and do things the way you are doing them currently. It is as though there is a time machine that is ticking and we are all constantly walking through. And there's going to come a time when it's going to read, time up, time up. I am going to see those two red numbers, zero, zero, time up. We must live with awareness. But beyond living with awareness, we must lead with awareness because that's what we see Elijah doing here. And if you remember well, the sermon from um, Pastor Femi the last two weeks, he reminded us that we are all called to lead in some form or some way. Leadership is not primarily a function of your position. It's primarily a function of your calling. It's not primarily a function of your position. It's primarily a function of your calling. When God created man in Genesis 1, 26 to 27, men and women, what did he say to them? Genesis 1, 26 to 27 says, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock, over wild animals, over all creatures that move along the ground. In other words, God had created us to be people who lead in the places where he's called us to be. And so maybe you may not be the CEO of your company, but maybe you are in charge of certain aspects of your family relationship. Maybe you are the first child and you are responsible for your siblings. God has called you to lead. Maybe you don't have they say so in, when your company is planning the budget, but maybe you are leading a team. God has called you to lead in those fairs. Amen. 
And so we see, Elijah, that if we are going to be people who lead well, we must be people who lead with awareness. And so how does Elijah do this in this passage? We see two things. Two things or two ways in which Elijah leads with awareness here. He leads without awareness of direction and he leads with an awareness, I've forgotten, of authority. He leads with an awareness of direction and an awareness of authority. The first one, awareness of direction. Three times in this passage, Elijah says, look at verse 2. He says, he's coming from Gilgal in verse 1. In verse 2 he says, the Lord has sent me to Bethel. In verse 4, he says, the Lord has sent me to Jericho. In verse 6, he says, the Lord has sent me to Jordan. Elijah knew where he was headed. I see, friends, if we are going to be people who lead with an awareness of direction, it means that we must have a destination in mind. And destination talks about a vision of how you want things to go, how you want things to be. And everybody likes to hit on um, motivational speakers these days, but there's, there's good things motivational speakers have done. I remember listening to one, and he said, a vision is a picture of a preferred end. But I think even better, a vision is a story of a preferred end. In other words, where are we headed? What do you want to accomplish? Where are we going to? I remember a few years ago, um, I think we're, we're like three years into marriage, and my wife said to me, um, so where are we headed in this marriage? <laughs> like, hey, guy, that's the worst thing that can ever happen to you if you get married to someone. And the, the, the question hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, what? Where are we headed in this marriage? I thought we talked about this when we were getting married three years ago. I thought I told you that I felt God leading me to be a pastor. And you're asking me the question here. But what she wanted was not just an assurance of something that we said three years ago, but that we're living in that purpose as we're traveling along. You see, vision needs to not just have been stated some time ago. Vision must always be articulated and re-articulated as you travel along. And that's why we, you know, it seems as if you are working for an organization and you don't know what exactly are we trying to accomplish in this organization. What are we, what are we, what are we about? If God has called you to lead your family, have a vision for the family. What, are you, what is your family about? What does it mean? To be an Oset. What does it mean to be an Oshuni? What does it mean to be an Oshuni be in a way that is not the same as other people that God has created? What does it mean to be you? But also for your business. There was a time when I don't know if businesses still do this, but you would walk into an organization and you see plainly on the wall this is what we're about, this is what we are trying to accomplish. The vision was there. But many of us conduct our lives and our businesses as though there is no clear vision. What, what are we trying to accomplish for your church? There's a reason why almost every week you hear, what is the vision of City Church? Yeah, that was me trying to ask you to help you make me remember. But no, the vision of City Church is to catalyze a gospel-centered movement that renews the city of Lagos spiritually, socially, and culturally. There's a reason why virtually every meeting we have, we say it. Because we don't just want people who are aimlessly doing things, running around in scattered places, and hurried, and just distracted, and doing different things. No, we want people who are about this one thing that God has called us to do. Friends, you cannot do everything. God hasn't called you to do everything. You are not Jesus Christ. 
There are some things that God has called you to do, and when you stand before God on the last day, those are the things God is going to ask from you. And so your vision is saying, this is what God has called me to concentrate my energy on. This is, these are the things that God has called me to focus on, and I'm going to be about this one thing. Elijah constantly says, God has sent me to Bethel. God has sent me to Jericho. God has sent me to Jordan. He's all about the vision. I like the way a pastor named Andy Stanley says it. He says, you will learn many things from great leaders, some things from mediocre leaders, and nothing from terrible leaders. Why? Because great leaders are driven by vision. There's always something like, this is what we're about. So how do we, how do we move this organization towards accomplishing that? How do we go about accomplishing these goals? How do we do these things? So you need a plan. And you see Elijah all through in this passage. God has sent me there. He doesn't stay on this spot like many of us do, just confessing positively. I will, as I speak and command the morning, the wealth is coming to me. Wealth transfer from the nations. It's just coming. It's just coming. I are lying on your bed. I are not doing anything. No, no, no. Elijah gets up and he's walking. He gets up with Elisha and he's saying, no, guy, this is where God has called me to. So that's where we're headed. He's all about the vision. But can I encourage you, as you dream dreams and dream visions, as, as you project and say, God, what have you called me to do? Notice what Elijah says all through this passage. He says, the Lord has sent me three times. The Lord has sent me to Bethel. The Lord has sent me to Jericho. The Lord has sent me to Jordan. In other words, as you dream and, and have visions, make sure that they are God-sized dreams and visions. Too often, because of the day and age in which we live, we are all about our own mission and our own task and our own goals. And guess what, friends? If we are not dreaming God's dreams and visions, they will not stand. They will not stand the test of time. Elijah is constantly saying, the Lord has sent me. The Lord has sent me. In other words, Elijah is not trying to build his own empire. Elijah is not trying to run his own race. Elijah is not trying to do his own thing. He's saying, this is all about what God has said. So can I encourage you, as you dream about your kids traveling abroad and, you know, going to good schools and, and being at the top of their career, make sure that you are dreaming God-sized dreams for them. Make sure that you are not just trying to enrich them educationally. Make sure that you are also trying to leave a legacy for them spiritually. Make sure that as your kids are going to school, you are not just filling their minds with the multiplication tables and all of those things. You are also filling their minds with what does it mean to be a Christian living in Lagos in 2021. Make sure that as you go through life, you're not just thinking about how to acquire more money, you're also thinking about how to be generous. Make sure that as you go through life and you're thinking about having a great marriage, you're not just thinking about the vacations you can have. Make sure that you're thinking about your home as an outpost of heaven on earth. Amen. God-sized dreams. Elijah is leading with awareness and he's saying it's an awareness not just of traveling anyway, it's an awareness of direction. God has called me to do certain things and those are the things I'll be about. But Elijah also leads with an awareness of authority. An awareness of authority. If you've read this passage, you know, before, or also today, just listening, that is a bit weird. Elijah is coming from Gilgal, and then he goes down, he says, oh, um, God has sent me to, from Gilgal, God has sent me to Bethel, stay here. God has sent me to Jordan, to Jericho, stay here. God has sent me to Jericho, stay here. And it seems like, ah, guy, I, don't you want this guy to follow you? But actually, in the original language, what Elijah is doing is saying, you may stay here. 
God has sent me here so you may stay here. In other words, Elijah is aware of his authority. Elijah is not presuming on his influence over Elisha. He's saying, inasmuch as God has called me to lead you, I want to lead in a way that I'll be gentle and respectful of your own opinions and your own personality. And I think, friends, as we travel through life, most people that are aware of authority, but we're not trying to wield our authority over people roughshod. We're not trying to just compel them to do things. We're trying to lead with gentleness and with meekness. You see, if awareness of direction means that we must have a vision, awareness of authority means that we must be people who are meek. But people who recognize that, yes, I have authority, I can take decisions, I can do things, but I'm not just going to try to compel you to do what I want. I'm going to constantly be asking and leading you in a way that is gentle and respectful of you as a person. You see, the opposite of abuse of authority is not lack of authority. We hear that often. We say, oh, no, the problem is that there are people who are in government. Let's get rid of government. The problem is that there are people who are in police. Let's get rid of police. Let's get rid of all authority structures so that everybody is equal and then we can kind of carry through life. No, that's, that's the wrong thing. The opposite of abuse of authority is good authority. The opposite of the abuse of authority is good authority. And you see, as you, as, you, as you just look at the Bible, you see that the reason why God has given us authority structure is so that we can rightly flourish. Just think about it. If all of us in Nigeria, how many are we again? 180 million people. If all of us had to be in the House of Representatives in Abuja, how much will we accomplish, please? We're struggling enough with 360 people there. How much will 180 million people accomplish? God has given us authority structures so that we can rightly flourish. So I like what a writer, who's not a Christian, but I think he's onto something here. His name is Jonathan Raymond in a book called Good Authority. And the book is entirely about you know, your, your corporate culture as an organization. He says, the opposite of good authority isn't bad authority. The opposite of good, of, the opposite of good authority is borrowed authority. What does he mean by that? It means that too often we are reactionary in how we view authority. We think about somebody who led a certain way, maybe your dad or your mom or your boss who first influenced you, and you think, wow, this person was really influential in the way the person led me. And so you're not thinking about the people who are right in front of you. You're thinking, oh, this is what this person did, so let me do the same thing. That's borrowed authority. Or you think about, oh, this person led in a certain way, and this person was very abusive, and I don't want to have anything to do with that, so I will do the opposite of what that person did, rather than thinking, how can I best serve the people who are right in front of me? That's borrowed authority. Whereas the kind of authority God calls us to is an authority that is strong, but gentle at the same time. You can make decisions, you can take decisions, but you are respectful of the people who are right in front of you. And we see this throughout the Bible. We see this in Exodus chapter 32, verse 9 to 11. As Moses is standing there, the people of God, God has just given them his commands, and the people of God have flouted God's commands. And God is angry, and God says, I'm going to judge them. Moses, I'm going to make you into my own people. Moses says, no, God, please don't do that. Moses is pleading with God, and he's saying, for the sake of your name, have mercy on these people and forgive them. He's leading with gentleness. 
We see this again in 1 Peter 5, verses 2 to 3. The call of God upon the leaders of the church, he says, that we shouldn't lead as those who are lording it over people, but as people who are eager to serve. In other words, lead with a spirit of gentleness. Lead with a spirit of gentleness. If there's any fruit of the spirit that is opposite to the spirit of Lagos, it is this one. Because we, 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 we have it in mind that ah, people are going to take us for granted, right? Yes. People are going to treat us as if we don't matter. And so you have to show yourself as boss. You have to assert your authority. But no, the word of God won't allow us to do that. We are compelled by God's word to say, no, it must be people who recognize the abuse that there is, but at the same time leading with gentleness. I remember a... I practiced as a lawyer for a few years, and, and my, my senior colleague at the time told me about a guy who, sorry, a senior advocate of Nigeria, who would employ people, and he would pay them well. And after he's paid them well, he'll tell them, now I own you. Like, now I own you. He would say that to his employees. And we hear that, and we're like, no, that is just terrible. But how often do you pay your employees? And how well do you pay them? You know, when I started working in city church, and maybe there's something to repent about, when I started working in city church, I had never worked, at least in Nigeria, I never worked in a place where my salary was paid on time and early. So I was like, wow. I, I remember the first few months, I'll go to Pastor Femi's office and say, thank you, sir. <laughs> thank you, sir. And maybe I should go back and say, thank you, sir. But there is... There <laughs> There is something about withholding people's earnings so that they can feel indebted to you. Are you someone who leads like that? Or maybe, no, you don't say this, but, you, but what's the culture of your organization like? Not too often we can mistake form for substance. Form for substance. What do I mean? Now we're in the 21st century. Everybody calls each other by name. And so, you know, we sit in all these open plan offices and you go to your MD's office and you say, hey, Mike, hey, Femi, you know, and, and you kind of chill. And you think that that means that, oh, we, we have a culture of openness here. But how do you lead them? How do you talk to them? How do you guide them? Leading with gentleness. Leading with awareness of authority means that you are leading for the whole, not just the parts. In other words, people have to know that you have their best interests at heart as you are leading your team. That they know that it's not just, oh, this guy is trying to make himself great or make a name for himself or be something so that people can think well of him. No, he's thinking about the whole. He's thinking about all of us. Leading for the whole, not just the parts, means that this person is thinking not just about his favorite team, He's not just buying good gadgets for the creative team. He's thinking about all of us. No, but I said that because he's not doing that. That's what I said. That's what I said. That's what I said. See, leading for the whole, not just the parts. And so we see Elijah leading with awareness. But you see, the second thing we see in this passage is following with readiness. Following with readiness. And we see Elisha's life. You see, in this passage, it's not just Elijah that's the, that's the star, it's Elisha. 
I know I said earlier that leadership is not primarily a function of your position, it's primarily a function of your calling as a human being, as an image bearer of God. But the truth is, friends, there's no one who is always a leader. In fact, the higher up you go in your leadership, the more you see followership playing out there. And so God has placed us in, in spheres where we are leaders sometimes, but not all of the time. Maybe you're here, you're a teenager, and you're like the star of the school. Or you're the head boy. God has still called you to live as a follower of your parents. Maybe you're the head of your family. And you know, like, this thing is just so rampant. People come, and they have female bosses, and they say, eh, I have you at home. What does, what, what does that have to do with anything? <laughs> you are the head of your family, not the head of this organization. Please get over yourself. So you may be head of your family, yet God has called you to live, to work in organizations where you are not the head. You may be head of an organization, but you live in an estate where you are not the estate chairman. God will always cause us to live in spheres where we are both leaders and also followers so that these, his beautiful design can be played out in our lives. And we see this in the life of Elisha. But you see, we live in an age where we don't like we don't like followership. We don't like the fact that there is somebody who is above us who is taking decisions. We live in an age where there's a lot of be your own boss kind of thing. The problem with be your own boss is that it means that you also have to be your own driver, you have to be your own cook, you have to be your own everything, and none of us except God is actually sufficient for that. God calls us to live in submission to other people, and we see this in Elijah's life. In fact, the best leaders, friends, are often the best followers. In fact, as you, lead, as you read this passage, what you see is that there's a group called the Sons of the Prophets, who are people who are enrolled in prophetic school. And then there's Elisha. In other words, Elisha was kind of a leader to these guys, even though he was following Elijah. Do you see? God will always place us in places where, even though we are leaders in certain spheres, we are still called to be followers. So we see Elisha doing this in four ways in this passage, and I'll just run through them. Elijah follows with commitment. Elijah follows with patience. Elijah follows, sorry, Elisha. Elisha follows closely, and Elisha follows ex with expectation. I'll just go through them. Elijah follows with commitment. Elisha, my God, Elisha. <laughs> Verse 2, verse 4, verse 6. Elijah comes and tells Elisha that God has sent me to this place. God has sent me to Bethel. God has sent me to Jericho. God has sent me to Jordan. And each time, Elisha says to Elijah, I will not leave you. I will not leave you. I will come along with you. And you have to recognize how difficult this is. You have to recognize that it's like you entered a bus and you say, oh, where are you going? And you say, no, I'm going to Lekki Phase 1. Okay, I'm going to Phase 1. You get to Phase 1 and I say, um, no, actually, I'm not going to Phase 1, no. I'm actually going to Elegushi. Oh, okay, let's go to Elegushi. And then you get to, no, it's not actually Elegushi. I'm going to Oniru. Like, guy, what? make up your mind now. Where are you going? And Elisha could have done that. He could have said, oh, God, where are we going again? Please tell me, let's, where exactly are we headed? But Elisha doesn't do that. He's following all through the commitment. He doesn't just follow when it's convenient for him. 
He follows also when it's not convenient for him. He's following through regardless of what the cost is to him. In verse 3, verse 5, verse 6, Elisha is approached by these sons of prophets and he's, and he's told like, guy, do you know God is going to take away your boss? In other words, try to secure your own destiny. This person is going to disappear soon. And they come with all these distractions. And what does Elisha do? Elisha says, no, no, no. Don't tell me about it. I don't want to hear about it. I'm following regardless. Because you have to think, Elisha wasn't, Elisha wasn't a boy that Elijah picked up from the streets. It wasn't like Elisha didn't have a place to sleep. In chapter 19 that Pastor Femi showed us two weeks ago, Elisha was bawling. Elisha was driving two yoke, um, 12 yoke of oxen. A yoke of oxen is two oxen, okay? So if you, are, if you are driving 12, it means you have 24. In that economy, that is a rich man. That is a, that is a you are made, basically. Elisha leads all of that, joins with this guy, and he's walking around, just walking around. And he could have walked up and said, guy, I thought, I thought we were following God's will. I thought that was what we were meant to do. I thought we were meant to, you know, make a name for ourselves. Well, no, Elisha doesn't have that. He's following through with commitment. And friends, in places where God has called us to, this is what God is asking us to do. For those of us who are not in positions of leadership in certain spheres, this is what God has called us to do. It will not always be convenient. There will always be distractions. You check on Instagram and you see, hey, my classmates who we finished at a certain time, this person has changed job five times. But no, God calls you to follow through with commitment. But what he also means is that you shouldn't be the kind of person who, when you're making job decisions, all that matters for you is just the income. We live in an age where we're all trying to build our LinkedIn profiles. And so that means that you have to, you know, by the time you're 30, you have to have had this, you know, work experience. And so you hop from place to place. In five years, you've worked in three and a half organizations. Only you. No, no. Following through with commitment. That there's something else driving you rather than just your own gain and your own convenience. But you see, the second way Elisha does this is that he follows with patience. He follows with patience. I see, commitment implies patience. It means that there will be times when you just have to drink a cup of cold water and wait. In fact, in this passage, we've seen Elisha in, in, chapter, in chapter 2 of this passage, there's been 10 years of Elisha following Elijah. 10 years of Elisha following Elijah. He was called in chapter 19, and it's just, it's just as though he, he never existed. We don't hear anything about him in chapter 20. Chapter 21, his boss is calling down fire. No mention of Elisha. And it's almost as though, you know, Elisha is in the fine print. Nobody cares about Elisha's life. But he's committed to following anyway. I like to say this to people, gifting does not equal commissioning. The fact that God has gifted you with something, the fact that God has even called you to do something, doesn't mean that God has then commissioned you to do it. I know it's true, there's a lot of wisdom in starting on time. There's a lot of wisdom in building your own profile as a young person and starting your, on time. But the truth is, friends, God will often call us and then form us before he sends us out. Think about the life of Jesus. He had the greatest task in all the world. He was going to save his own people and call the people to himself for God. For the first 30 years of his life, nobody knew about him. 
and you'll have thought, um, I thought, <laughs> I thought you were the Messiah. Why doesn't anybody know? Only a handful, a handful of people knew. Some shepherds, basically, who are like um, headsmen who were pushing things around. <laughs> um, some strangers from a foreign land who came with three weird gifts. Um, his father, his mother, and nobody else. Okay, yeah, maybe his cousin, his uncle, and his auntie. That is just terrible PR in, in 21st century Lagos. And yet, he had the greatest assignment in the world. We just finished the book of Galatians, and one of the things we saw there was that when God called Paul, there was this long period where we didn't hear anything about him. He's, he's saved in Acts chapter 9, and then he's, he's, he gets only one verse in chapter 10. He gets one verse in chapter 11. And then just this long gap before we see him again in chapter 13. In other words, God will often call a person and form them in isolation before he sends them out. Please wait. Please be patient. If you feel that God has called you to do something, don't, don't start. Don't just jump out. Make sure that you are formed before you go out to do what God has called you to do. But you see what Elisha also does there. Elisha follows closely. Elisha follows closely. As you read through this passage from the beginning in, chapter, in verse 1 all the way to chapter 12, you see a lot of Elijah and Elisha, the two of them. Elijah and Elisha. Elisha said to Elijah. Elijah said to Elisha. In other words, he was following closely. Good fellowship means that there has to be proximity between yourself and the person that you are following. I know too often there's, there's this whole, oh, who is your mentor? Your, my mentor is somebody on the internet that I've never met before. Who is your mentor? Who is teaching you this thing that you're going through? How are you learning this thing? Oh, I'm doing one course online. And because we, can, we have access to all of these things, YouTube videos and all of these courses, we just feel like, oh, there's no need for all the people that God has gifted us with. But the truth, friends, is that we are called to follow closely, called to follow in proximity. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 11, Paul is writing to Timothy at the end of his life. And what does he say to Timothy? He said, you have followed my teaching, my conduct, my aim of life, my faith, my patience, my love, my steadfastness, my persecutions, my sufferings, all of these things that happened to me. In other words, you didn't just hear about them from a thought source. You didn't just read about them on the internet. You didn't just watch sermons about the things I experienced. You followed them. God has gifted us. I'm saying this particularly to those of us who are young and who are not, you know, at the, at the top places of, of our career and all of the things that we're dreaming about. God has gifted us with people in this church. Follow them. Walk up to somebody and say, I like the way you lead your family. Please, I want to learn from you. I like the way you have led this business. Please, I want to learn from you. Can I visit you? Can I, can I, can I come to your house? Can I have phone calls with you? You're not just watching videos online. God has gifted us with people. And Elisha is doing this. He's following closely all through this passage. But we also see Elisha following with expectation. Following with expectation. In verse 9 to 11, Elijah is, Elisha is following Elijah, and he doesn't just keep his mouth shut. At the end, Elisha, Elijah turns to him and says, what do you want? What do you want from me? And he says in verse 9, let me inherit a double portion of your spirit, Elisha replied. In other words, there was something Elisha had in mind. Elisha wasn't just, you know, blindly following and that's not what good followership is. Good followership is not just walking along. Oh, I'm just 
following this person. He's my father in the Lord. He's my mother in the Lord. He's my boss. He's my uncle. He's my this. He's my that. And you're just following. You're not learning or absorbing anything from them. No, we see Elisha here. He's following with expectation. There is something this person has accomplished. There is something God has instructed and taught this person that I want. And so I'm going to follow this person until I can get that. Make sure that as you're following, as you're traveling along, you're following with expectation. That you have mentors and bosses and you're not just, oh, um, we had this nice dinner and lunch together. No, no, you're actually learning from them. That there's something, I want to learn, how have you done this? How have you accomplished this? What disciplines did you put in place? Oh, your kids are this way. How can I become this kind of person following with expectation? So we see Elijah leading with awareness. Elijah following with readiness as one who follows with commitment, as one who follows with patience, as one who follows closely, and as one who follows with expectation. But the truth, friends, is that, and I go to my third point, continue with effectiveness, is that even when we've done all of these things, it still doesn't ensure that we pass the baton on well. Because if this is all we get from this passage, it's just full of principles, and that's not the only thing that the Bible gives us. So we see in verse 8, we, there's a suggestion that is made to us there. It says, Elijah took his cloak, rolled it up, and struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. He struck the water with it. The water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. He struck the water with it, and the water divided to the right and to the left, and the two of them crossed over on dry ground. If you were an Israelite reading this passage, it would suddenly trigger your mind like, oh, is the writer trying to tell me about something that has happened before? Because you see in Joshua chapter 3 verse 4, chapter 3 and 4, as the children of Israel were about to step into the promised land, Joshua says, under God's command, that the priest should enter the water and the water would part. And that was exactly what happened. The priest entered the water and the water parted. And in the minds of Israel at the time, was, it was clear because Moses had done the same thing when they were standing before the Red Sea. Moses had stretched his hand over the Red Sea and the water had parted. And he was like, oh, this is the guy. This is the person. This is the person that is going to lead us into the promised land. This is the one that, is, that has assured us that God is for us. Everything is fine from here on. But if you know the story of the Bible and the reason why we are looking at the life of Elijah, you see that no, the things actually don't work out. Elisha, Moses transitions well to Joshua, but Joshua somehow, the people of Israel don't receive the baton and everything collapses. And so you are reading this passage and you think, oh, well, yes, so maybe this is the guy. This is the guy who is going to lead us into the promised land. Elisha is actually going to part the water and then he's going to lead us into the promised land. And actually, there's a little bit of that here because when Elijah is going, he parts the water, he turns to the right and to the left and they walk through. And then he's coming back, Elisha is coming back and he does the same thing. The water passes to the right and to the left and you think, oh, wow, this is great. This is the promised deliverer. Everything is fine from here on. No, 13 chapters in, everything isn't fine from here on. Everything collapses. Everything falls down as dead. And it seems like, oh, so what is the hope then? Even if I transition well, how do I know that I can continue with effectiveness? How do I know that somewhere down the line, things won't go south and go awry? 
Several hundred years later, there's someone else that does the same thing. Except this time, he doesn't strike the water and the water parts. Jesus with John the Baptist is standing at the bank of this same river Jordan again and Jesus goes in. This time he doesn't part the water. He goes into the water and it's as though he's saying, I am going to take all of this on for you. The water is not going to part this time as a sign of deliverance. The water is go I'm going to be submerged in the water as a sign of the deliverance that I will accomplish for you. You know, I talked about the um, failures of the U.S. Olympic team at the beginning. But the Olympics have this thing about how they remind us of not just what can be done, but also what is possible. And so in 1992, there was a race where a guy who was gifted, a guy who was, everybody had their eyes set on him, that this guy was going to be the one who finished the race and completely well. Derek Redmond. This guy is running his race. And as he's running, like many of us, he tore his hamstring. And maybe you're here, you've torn your hamstring. It seems as though something has happened to you, whether of your own making or someone else's making. Maybe you were handed the baton and you dropped it. Or maybe you were in a family or in a place where there was no baton to even begin with and there's nothing to carry on. Or maybe you didn't even have any runner at all. There was no one in your family who ever ran. There was no father or mother or no boss or, or, or no authority figure in your life. So you don't even know how to carry on well. The good news is this guy's father came along. And this guy was limping all the way. There was no assurance that he was going to finish his race and he was just limping all the way. But his father came. And his father helped him to the end. And friends, the good news is that in the person of Jesus Christ, we have one who doesn't just stand afar off, who doesn't just look at us as we are limping, who doesn't just you know, observe and give us instructions, do this well, change your shoe, change your clothing, change this. No, he comes alongside, he enters the race with us, he steps into the Jordan and he's saying, no, I'm going to help you all the way to the end. But the difference is that this was a race that hadn't been won. On Jesus', on Jesus Christ, he won the race. Jesus stepped into the Jordan and we're told in verse 1 that Elijah knew the time had come for him to end. And so he was trying to transition well to Elisha. In John 13 verse 1, Jesus is, we're told, Jesus knew that the time had come for him to end. And he gathers his friends. And what does he do? He gives them his food. He gives them a bread and a cup as a sign of what he will do for them on the cross. Saying, no, this is not a race you are going to try to win. This is a race that I will win and secure for you. So that as you are limping across, you are not limping across as one who is trying to overcome. You are limping across as one who has already overcome and is going to the finish line to be crowned. Friends, we can transition well. We can pass the baton well. Whether in this church, whether in your organization, whether in your family, whatever God has called you to, because Jesus has entered the race of your life to ensure that you finish well. Thank you for listening to the Gospel in Lagos. We pray you've been blessed by this message. To learn more about City Church, visit www.citychurchlagos.com City Church Love Jesus, love people, love Lagos.